Why, y'all are brave, church. Singing to the Lord, teach me to wait. That's pretty gutsy. When we come to our text today, the one that Skip read just a moment for us, we find it all the way out in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And we're not going to hang out there too much, because really, in an unusual twist this morning, what I want you to see about this text in 2 Samuel chapter 5 is simply that it is in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Now that may not seem like too much on the start, but I want you to note that this is the story where David is anointed king over all Israel, where he becomes the ruler of the united tribes, the kingdom as a whole. He finally becomes king, we should say. See, it is in this text, it even notes for us that David had become king over Judah, over one of the tribes when he was 30, and then it was, what, another, uh, let's see, it says he, he uh, it was another seven years and six months before he became king over all of Israel. So he was 37 or so by the time he finally, finally receives the throne. Despite the fact that it was all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, a good, uh, as the text flies, uh, a good 20 chapters ago, that David was out tending the field when Jesse came to town and brought uh, all his uh, brothers to him first, and then finally uh, Jesse, or Jesse finally has to fess up that David was there too, and David comes up and he's anointed to be the king that would replace Saul. And it's maybe too easy to recognize, or too, or too easy to just skip over and fail to recognize, that there are, there's an incredible period of time between when David is anointed, when he is kind of said to be the king, or maybe we should say the king in waiting, and when he actually takes the throne over a united Israel. We don't know how old that David is in that span, but let's just say conservatively that he's around 17, okay? Frankly, I think it's very likely he's a lot younger than that. But let's just say 17 for the sake of argument. That still puts it at 20 years before he actually ascends to the throne. And I don't know about you, But 20 years is a long time to wait for anything, isn't it? It's a long time. I got a hard time waiting 20 minutes sometimes. Okay? 20 years? I bet we have some people that have waited that long for something. But it is exceptional. It is one of those things that's kind of such a span of time that it boggles our minds to think all of 
what, what can happen over the span of a couple of decades. You know, 20 years, when you look back, can sometimes feel like a flash. But when you're looking into the future, it seems like another lifetime from now, doesn't it? In 20 years, I'll be 60 years old. Some of you are, are thinking, you young pup. Some of you are thinking, my, Hovatter's getting older quicker than we realized. It's a funny thing, our relationship with time. Our relationship with the way things pass by. Sometimes we're very hyper aware of time as it creeps along. And sometimes it sneaks away from us in a flash and we barely even recognize it was happening. We still, uh, even in our time, uh, struggle, maybe even more so than ever, although it's hard to put a finger on it, we struggle with the concept of Meanwhile, about that little span of time between we begin to hope for something and when we actually receive it or achieve it. When the ball starts in motion and when uh, we finally get the payoff for something. Meanwhile, I want to say it that way. It's kind of a cousin to another word, waiting, okay? Waiting is what we recognize as being hard. It is a spiritual practice and probably the most difficult one. Uh, Of course, the author of that song, Teach Me, Lord, to Wait, is just playing on the theme that we see in all across Scripture of uh, people who are being asked to be patient and long-suffering and perseverant and to practice endurance. All of those words are in the field of what we're talking about when we speak about waiting. Waiting is what you do. Meanwhile is what happens to you in the middle of while you're waiting. You see what I mean? And you uh, take on the verb of waiting, which is a verb, an action verb, to wait, which means to do nothing. I guess you should call it an inaction verb, really, because it just means to hold on for a bit. But while you're holding on, in the meanwhile, some things are happening. Some things that you do and some things that happen to you. And there's some very important processes that take place in the meanwhile. I don't know that you can really be shaped into the image of Christ without having a little meanwhile in your life. Without having some times where you have to wait and endure and some things have to be, have to kind of cook inside of you. Spiritual formation, at least in the way I read it, looks a lot more like a crock pot than it does a microwave. It seems like there are some things in us that just can't happen in a flash but that they take some time to stew over and for, for things to kind of just uh, come together over a long while. So I want us to think a little bit about some of the things that happen while you are waiting. Because the scriptures are 
kind to us in David's story to show us not just a moment when he is anointed king. And then the story could very well have been that David was anointed king for the first time after Saul had already died, right? It could have been the first blip on the radar. Saul has died and his, his clan has been defeated and now we'll have David anointed as the new king. But that's not the way the Lord chose to do it. The Lord chose to tell the prophet Samuel when the boy was still out in the field and Saul was still very firmly on the throne that it was time to go anoint a new king. And I think the only reason that happened, the only thing that makes sense to me is that God wanted, well, maybe Samuel, but I think more likely us to see some of the things that happen in the meanwhile. Because... Even while we resist meanwhile, while we resist waiting, there's some pretty important things that take place. One of the things that happens over the course of David's meanwhile is that he goes through a series of, I think I would call them tests. He goes through testing, okay? It don't look like same kinds of tests, but he has this series of adventures that to me uh, would strike the kind of tone that the biblical authors like James would think about as being testing. They're the kinds of things that refine a person's faith and show you to be who you are and also enhance your faith and enhance your spirituality as you go. Like, I think of that great test when uh, David wandered into the camp of his brothers and heard the taunts of the Philistine Goliath. Like, that's not just a hero story, that's a testing story, right? It's a story that asks us, that asks David, what are you really made of, boy? Are you willing to go toe-to-toe with something that's bigger and fiercer than you are, depending only on the, on the faithfulness of your God in that place? Are you willing to do that? There are a couple of times as David has become the enemy of Saul, or at least Saul thinks he's his enemy, right? And Saul thinks that he's a threat to him, and Saul is pursuing him and chasing him around. And there's a couple of moments that uh, David has where he encounters Saul in very, very vulnerable states, okay? We won't do too much of those stories because you're going to encounter them in your classes, and I want you to have that full experience of discovering what's in in those texts for yourself. But there are these incredible stories in which David has an opportunity to take by force what he believes God will eventually give to him without those steps. And it's a very strange story. I don't really understand why David feels so compelled not to. The only, example, the only uh, rationale he really gives is that he doesn't want to be the one who will strike down the anointed of God. Maybe he doesn't want to do that because he himself has been anointed and it's going to come back around someday. I don't know. But he believes that if someone's been anointed by God, that he's not going to be the one to strike him down, and so he won't do it. And I think of those experiences of David and his conflicts with Saul, and I think of those things as being about testing. Let's see what David is really made of. Will he take shortcuts? Will he seize power for himself? Or will he just continue to be faithful and to wait? Testing is one of the things that happens in the meanwhile. 
And it requires from us sometimes that we are passive and we're able to receive the testing and we just endure and we go with it. And sometimes testing works in a way that it calls us to action. Sometimes we're there to make sure that we take action against Goliath. And sometimes we're there to make sure that we resist taking action against Saul. That's part of the conflict of the test is it requires us to do some discerning, right? To figure out, to ask really hard questions. What am I supposed to be doing now? What am I supposed to be doing while I wait? Am I doing too much? Am I not doing enough? Anybody that's really been through a real serious and hard meanwhile knows what it's like to wrestle with those questions, don't you? Am I doing too much? Am I not doing enough? What's, what am I doing wrong, right? And I think David has to struggle through those things too. And he has to navigate what it means for him to act in the meanwhile. He has to navigate a period of testing in his life. There's something else that happens though in the meanwhile for David that I think is really worth us uh, taking note of. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 22. This is a subtle thing that happens all through that period from 1 Samuel 16 all the way up until um, that period in 2 Samuel chapter 5, all through David's meanwhile. Uh, But this is just a kind of focused version of it where we can see it. David left there. This is in the middle while Saul's kind of chasing him around. Okay. David left there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. And those who were with him numbered about 400. David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, and he, he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother come to you until I know what God will do for me. What a meanwhile thing to say, right? You hear that in his voice? Hey, can somebody help take care of my mom and dad while I just figure out what God's actually going to do here? That's a pretty meanwhile sort of thing to say. But I want you to notice what happened before that. It's a really poignant thing that happens there at the beginning of 1 Samuel 22. It says that, first of all, it's his brothers and his father's house. You remember in the story of Goliath how his brothers kind of treat him with contempt? And you remember in the story of his anointing how he's kind of the little brother that nobody even seems to pay attention to because, of course, there'd be, he would be the one not be anointed as king, right? And then we see here in this story that it, is all of his, it starts off with his brothers, those that had earlier treated him with contempt in his own family. They rally to him. They come to him. And then, it, not only that, the rest of his 
father's house, of course, comes. And then it starts giving this list of other people that come and place themselves in David's care. And it's everybody who's in distress and everyone who is in debt and everyone who is discontented, it says. It says, at the the end of the day, there are 400 broke, frustrated, distressed people that show up and just decide they're going to be part of David's people. One thing that happens uh, when you enter into a meanwhile, sometimes I should say, is that you find that it's the place where you really develop allies. See, this band of people that are going to follow around uh, with David, and they're going to be with him in some pretty thick places and some pretty thin places. They're going to join with him in his meanwhile. They're going to sit with him. They're going to wander with him. They're going to be hungry with him. And sometimes they're going to fight with him. Meanwhiles are places where we find ourselves to really, really need some allies, right? And a lot of people, I'll tell you what, a lot of people find themselves in situations and in waiting periods, and one of the most hurtful and damaging things that can happen to somebody in that period of time is that they begin to feel alone. They begin to feel isolated. They begin to feel the burden of whatever it is that their situation is, is bringing to them. And they begin to feel it as if it's just happening to them. And church, one of the best ways that we can support people in meanwhile situations is we can be allies for them. We can come with them. And you may say, Man, I don't know that I really have something to offer somebody that's in suffering. Some, I don't really have anything that's worth offering somebody that's, uh, that's struggling in a trial. Man, the people that came to David, they were broke and mad. But they were just the people that he needed. They were just the people that he needed. And it may be well, it may be true that you need to, that there's somebody in your orbit that just needs you to show up and be an ally, Right? Just to show up in the cave. Sit a while. This is a hard part to talk about because I think this part is not like an automatic deal. It's not just, in fact, maybe all of these are, right? Okay? These meanwhile things, maybe they're not things that automatic. Like, it's, it's very true that, that, that testing comes, but it might be that we're not ready to, you know, work through the test. We may not be ready to kind of do the work and the discernment and the, and the practices in the middle of the test that kind of make it an actually a formative thing for us. And it may be true for allies too. It may be that in our meanwhile times we're not ready for allies or it may be that the people around us uh, don't know how to be good allies for us. I do think that in the meanwhile time relationships are incredibly important and significant. They help you get through. But it's not something that just automatically happens. I don't know what else I can say about that. Except for to say that when we're in the meanwhile, when I'm in the meanwhile, I have to be ready for the possibilities of what surprising allies might come into my world. What surprising friends and brothers and sisters might show up. 
I mean, for David, it's people that don't seem to have any value, and it's people that used to treat him with contempt. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right? But for me, it might be somebody uh, that I used to not connect with before. Or it might be somebody that I think doesn't really understand what I'm going through because I don't really know what they've gone through. I think one of the disciplines of meanwhiling, of waiting, is having our eyes open to the possibility of relationships. Giving people a chance to be supportive. And I think on the other side of it, I think we have to be ready and ready people to join in and support those who are struggling and suffering. I think that's part of our calling as the church. So that's another thing that happens with, um, with David in his meanwhile stuff. A third thing, though, that's maybe a little bit more obvious to us because we have such an incredible tradition of it in our Bibles one of the features of the meanwhile is it's a place of prayer. Psalm 4, Psalm 6, Psalm 35. Psalms associated with David's name, Psalms of David, whether they're written by his pen or kind of in his tradition, I don't know. They all say something to the notes that we find in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. And my foes will rejoice, because I am shaken. But I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. What a prayer for the meanwhile. It's the kind of thing that only a person that's gone through the waiting of being surrounded by enemies over a longer period of time could actually come to and pray with any kind of soul and authenticity. And if we know anything about the story of David, it's, about a guy, it's a story about a guy who was a warrior poet who knew how to pick up the harp and with some kind of crazy authenticity sing to the Lord, both in tones of celebrating what God had done and also in those minor keys where he was talking about things that he wished God would do. David prays with all the waiting and sometimes gives waiting people the words to say, how long oh lord how long that's a prayer for the meanwhile and it's a prayer that shows up in scripture over and over and over again i don't know that there's any place that you can learn to pray better than in the meanwhile most people i know that i know to be people of prayer 
have gone through meanwhile waiting periods in their life. In fact, it's one of those things that such people bring to the church. Sometimes we need voices of people who have kind of endured that kind of suffering. And they feel like they don't really have anything to offer to the Lord because they feel a little Eeyore-ish sometimes. But we need to hear those voices that are used to praying how long prayers. The faithfulness of a how long, O Lord, prayer repeated in silent spaces over and over and over again. See, that does something to a person's soul. That does something to a person's heart. That brings about things that that I don't know that any kind of quick microwave word is ever going to do, okay? All of these things are part of David's story because God has a pretty big job for David, right? I mean, the story where we picked up at the, uh, the part that Skip read over in 2 Samuel chapter 5 that uh, we were eventually going to get to, Israel comes to David and says, For some time while Saul was king over us, it was you who led out Israel and brought it in. And the Lord said to you, It is you who shall be shepherd over my people Israel. You who shall be the ruler over Israel. That was part of David's call to be a shepherd king, to lead the people in a way that would bless the people not because he was doing what he wanted, although occasionally he falls by that way, but because he was following God's plan and God's will. And in order for David to learn to be that king when he's 37 years old, he had to go through some times in his 20s when he was hiding in a cave, praying, sitting with his allies, and being tested in his faith. Testing. Relationships. Prayer. These things that happen in the meanwhile are part of our essential formation. They are the sorts of things that shape us to be who God calls us to be. There's so many things that we learn about God's nature in Scripture. God is loving. God is just. God creates and gives life. He's a rescuer. But that one mysterious fact of God that is so hard for us to wrap our brains around is this. God is patient think for just a moment on the patience of God God is willing in this story with David to anoint him as the king and then to give him another 20 years to get ready to do it and God does that without blinking an eye God is ready for Israel to endure 
not just this period of the judges, but the period of these kings that are to come so that she can fulfill her role in the world. And he does that not just over a span of 20 years, but over the span of 20 generations. God is patient to allow the story of Christ to come centuries after Israel has been called to be a blessing to the world. And then God is willing, as the church begins, to over generation and generation and generation form, cultivate, and harvest fruit from His people. Humans have always gotten in trouble trying to predict what God is going to do and when. Partly because we have no concept of the patience of God. God is waiting and willing to wait longer. God has no problem entering into the meanwhile. And maybe that's why it's an important place of formation for us, for ourselves. Because it's one of those places that we have to turn down our speed to come and receive something about what God is and about the nature of what God is doing on earth. God plays a long game every time. And so God uses us and forms us, not just in singular moments, though many of us have those kinds of experiences where we, in the blink of an eye, receive something new about God and it changes us, it changes our behavior. But more to the point, God uses weeks and months and often years and decades to slowly cultivate within us the people that he wants us to be. The patient God is patient with us and uses the meanwhile to form us. Let us pray. Oh God, I know that there are people in this church this morning who are crying out with David, How long, O Lord? I know every week we have people that come and that are in their own hearts, in their own lives, are just struggling with what it means to live in the meanwhile. Oh God, would you encourage them with your spirit, give them strength for the waiting. May they find among God's people here ready allies who will help them in their their suffering. They'll support them. Encourage them, even as they bear burdens which have to be carried alone. Oh God, would you teach us to wait? Indeed. Teach us to be people who discern with wisdom the test before us and who reach out to you in prayer in the time of testing. And oh God, would you through all that form in us the Spirit of Jesus? Form in us the body of your Son so that we will 
do for you what it is that you ask us to do. We'll fulfill your mission, that you put the mission that you put in our hands. And God, may the period of waiting for us be a period that leads not to our own glory, but to yours alone. So that some would say, this could only be done by a patient, faithful God. In Jesus we pray, amen. Hey, listen, if there's something that you're struggling with and you want to share it today, you're certainly welcome to do that while we uh, sing here in just a moment. But um, I, I would just want to say today, too, that if this is the kind of thing that it gets in your head and in your heart um, and, and you feel like you're in that place of isolation, I, I want you to reach out to somebody, okay? It doesn't, listen, coming down and walking up front and shaking the preacher's hand may not be the best way to do it, okay? But reach out to somebody. Reach out to somebody. Reach out to one of our shepherds, okay? Reach out to one of your friends here. Uh, reach out to somebody that just looks like they got a kind face, <laughs> okay? And, uh, and, and begin those conversations. You need allies to get through that stuff. Or if you have something else that you want to share with the church, you're welcome to do that while we stand and sing together.